It's Christmas for Apple users. This is the time where all of our Macs get updated in exciting ways, and it's uh, sometimes just new software, which can really reinvent old machines and give them new life. But uh, we got lucky this time. Uh, Well, it's not lucky. We've been waiting a long time, and uh, there's some fantastic hardware announcements from WWDC. There's a ton of great stuff. I'm really excited to talk about it. And first, I'm going to be talking to Pixelmator, the winners of the Apple Design Award. Uh, So I was really glad to talk to them. While they're there, they are on the floor and have seen the details. So let's talk to Andreas, and then we'll come back and get some more details about the Mac Pro. I've got Andreas here from Pixelmator, who... uh, is just off of a very exciting day at uh, WWDC where you guys just won the uh, Apple Design Award. How's it going? Uh, it's going really well. Really amazing. Like, it's just uh, super exciting. Like, just, I mean, getting recognized by the amazing people here is is, is an incredible honor. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's plus the it's huge. Yeah. And I mean, there's like so many of the the apps that have won in the past have gone on to do great things. There, are, there's just like there's so much good work out there that to like be recognized. You know, big congrats to you guys. Seriously, really exciting. Thanks. Yeah, amazing. But uh, you're spending the the week down there, I assume, and like uh, going through all the courses and seeing the announcements and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been it's been great. So the first day is obviously very exciting. All the you know stuff for for iPad with with iPad OS um, Project Catalyst, also a big deal for us. The new Mac Pro and the Pro Display also very important. So we'll be we'll be working on adding support for all those things, and we've actually already started pretty much in, in these in this short time since they were announced because obviously the betas are available. Well, let's start with the the Mac Pro because hardware is always hardware is the fun part. <laughs> in the long yeah. run, I mean, I, I have some thoughts about some of the software that's coming out that um, probably will end up being more important in the really long run. Some of these announcements will have like really profound effects, whereas. Mac Pro, uh, you know, some of my thoughts about it are that, uh, like, some people were really excited for it to come out, but then saw the price and they're like, maybe this isn't for me. I th- I think what I'm excited about is that this is for uh, the group that has just been underserved for a while. Like, this is responding to a need that is a very small percent. It's kind of the, you know, the 1% of uh, Mac users, but that just didn't have anywhere to go before that. If they needed to keep stacking power upon power inside of a machine, um, we haven't been able to do that for a little while. What were your thoughts when you saw the announcement? And like, what do you yeah, guys think? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's completely like pro-oriented. And I think people maybe were a bit like, I don't know, some maybe might've been underwhelmed because they've, kind of want to have their cake and eat it too so they want like this incredibly pro device like okay so pro has been neglected and they want it for like you know obviously really cheap and and but i think like apple have delivered like in a major way with obviously like the upgradability and just i mean some of the numbers are just just incredible to think (laughs) about like 1.5 terabytes of ram (laughs) so what specific things about it will be useful to you and your team like are there any things you're going to be able to implement for right away yeah, so so basically with the, with the Mac Pro, um, you know, it's, it's it's super upgradable. You can stick like uh, an incredible amount of of graphics processing power with you know graphics cards and the um, the afterburner, device. the afterburner. That's the one. Yeah. So obviously with with that much power inside it, there's a lot of potential, but you still need to to optimize your app to to take advantage of that. And our architecture is already based on like metal, so it's really it's all it's already well geared to to, to take advantage of all of that. Um, but we'll be we'll be adding support for all the the new APIs that will allow basically for Pixmeter Pro performance to scale with each like as much as you upgrade the the Mac Pro performance like file opening speeds, editing, rendering speeds are going to scale really well. Do you know much about Metal in terms of like 
what it uh, really offers as advantages because I kind of hear arguments from the PC side the most, I think, because people that are interested in graphics card and interested in like that kind of really detailed optimization or gaming, they are a, a louder voice on the internet. So I end up learning less about like how metal optimization is really helpful and what is it going to mean for me in the future when apps are really targeted to run on that framework from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, as a, as a developer, when you use Metal, what, what you get is like the lowest overhead access to the GPU. So like with, with cross-platform frameworks, there's more processing um, that happens, which uh, slows down basically, like it has a hit on performance. Whereas with Metal, you get like really pretty much no overheads directly like processing images or video um, on the GPU. The other thing is uh, the cross-platform potential. Uh, I mean, like on, on iOS. So you, you create, mm-hmm. for example, like the in Pixelmator Pro, the color adjustments, they're based on metal and in core image in part. Um, and we can basically port those to iPad or iPhone without like almost any work, just obviously adding a UI designed for, for, the, for, the, for the screen sizes. So that's, that's two things. Performance on Apple devices and uh, cross-platform potential. Speaking of that ability to port between them, uh, Catalyst, that's that's like one of those key things that I think we're going to look back on as uh, I think uh, developers know why it's exciting. I think mainstream public isn't fully aware of how big of a deal this is going to be. Oh yeah, it's huge. What does it mean for you guys? So, Pixelmator Photo, we released that on, on the iPad. It's iPad only. Um, it was it came out really not, I think, what, three, four months ago. And, and we've always kind of wanted to bring it to the Mac because it's a really great photo editing experience. But we would have had to obviously create a whole UI on the Mac uh, and, and optimize it. And now we can basically port it to Mac OS and, and create like a cross-platform Mac OS iPad app without having two different apps in two different app stores. So just one app, all your documents in the same place. And, and it makes it super simple. I mean, really, for, for, for developers, a lot of the time, it's about return on investment. Like, so how much time you... For example, would need to spend. You take that into account. You're like, okay, maybe it's not worth it. But with 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 Catalyst, I think that's going to pull down a lot of the overheads for people for you know for development of, of apps. Anyone who who has a Mac and has used the UI Kit apps, so the the voice memos, stocks app, uh, the news app, and those are all created with the with the technology that Apple developed for Project Catalyst. So like they're already you know native Mac apps basically, and that's it. Like uh, and you've heard obviously the announcements that Twitter managed to you know, launch their, their Mac OS Twitter app with a, you know, day's development, basically. So it, really, it really just opens up so many possibilities for people who would have had to you know, spend lots of time on, on development otherwise, yeah. And, you know, there will need to be some design refactoring, which I hope all developers take really seriously because just dumping the app on Mac OS yeah. is uh, going to have problems. Obviously, it's not touch interface, but, um, yeah, there is an incredible amount of potential of, like, because I've been starting to get to this point where I'm noticing that there's more and more apps on iOS that provide functionality I can't do on my computer, on my laptop. Uh, an example is um, there's there's all sorts of like face retouching apps or like face filter apps yeah. that do kind of instant makeup. And traditionally, that's kind of been something just for fun and something that's kind of cheesy. But when I look at some of them, it's doing as good of a job touching up as I do manually right now with my mouse just clicking all over the image and like bringing that AI stuff to be available on the computer. Like right now, there's no way for professionals to access that kind of 
tools like that, just as an example. But all of a sudden, we're going to be able to start like bringing small ideas that like they had a market in the iOS platform because so many people using iPhones. Now there's a lot more incentive for them to spend relatively little time to bring it over to uh, you know, the desktop or laptop. Yeah, and, and also with all like the so the AI stuff, uh, because if if let's say you use CoreML again, that really transfers completely you know, seamlessly from iOS to macOS. So I think it's just it's just the potential for people to just experiment. Like it's just you don't have to you know, plan uh, ahead and be like, all right, we have to start a development team for for the Mac. You just I mean, you just the same developers as they said, the same developers, iOS developers and macOS developers. That's, oh, that's for a sure. huge deal. I also saw, I mean, looking at the Swift UI demonstration made me think I'm a developer, even though yeah. I'm like, why I don't I have like, an app? This is this looks incredibly easy now, which uh, yeah, if anybody didn't see the demo, I mean, it's sort of like there's like drag and drop and uh, it's like a WYSIWYG app tool within Xcode. It, it will be more challenging to, than that to like do something serious, but that ability to just get started with base functionality and just experimentation and learning with instant feedback previews. And, and I mean, I haven't seen the actual WWDC talks. Like I know they're going to go more in depth in it. And I'm really curious to watch some demonstrations of that, but it really feels like this could turn a corner of anybody with a great idea being able to create an app around it. I mean, they always could, but now more, more can. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree. I, th- I think my developer friends are going to, kill me for saying, saying this, but uh, I think <laughs> development is kind of, if you really have an idea of what you want to do, I think it isn't, uh, I mean, you can do it. It takes a lot of hard work and it's, it's you know, it's, it's very obviously stressful and demanding. Mm-hmm. But I think that the, the, the sort of main point is the idea and then any any improvements that uh, reduce the roadblocks to getting that, making that idea a reality is amazing. And, and when I saw that announcement, I was, I, I kind of wanted to pull out my laptop right there and then and be like, I'm going to try this. I want to try you know, creating an interface. I have some ideas. We saw the same thing happen with other industries. So I mean, if you look at photography, it got a lot easier. Oh, yeah. The challenges uh, in the film days were enormous to get what is now a simple photo. Things like ISO sensitivity and like low noise performance, variable white balance. Like we kind of forget to appreciate some of this stuff. And all of a sudden, everybody can take great photos. And, you know, I think at the time, there were professional photographers that were stressed out about that and concerned and thought that maybe meant they weren't going to have the career they had hoped for. The, the thing is, the structure of doing this as work has just changed. And there's still plenty of professional photographers. And I, I think there's probably more people working in photography than there ever were. And it's easier for them all to take great photos. But we're all just taking better photos. Like, the level just went up for everything. We're all the, the best photographers in the world are able to perform better because they can turn things around more quickly. There aren't the same technical hurdles they used to have. And I think this will do the same things for development where all of a sudden barriers to entry that were there even for skilled developers, as those walls get knocked down, more and more people can come at it, do the same thing. And I don't know, I, I am like, I'm really excited about that kind of thing. I completely agree with you. Like I was thinking about this as well, like about how you know everyone's a photographer now pretty much, right? But I don't think that, that yeah, that's had like an impact on pros because at the end of the day, what you want from a photograph is still exceptional in some way, quality. And I think when you have, let's say, lots of exceptional things, that becomes mundane and you look for exception, exceptionality, exceptionalness somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's always going to be the case with you know, and apps and, and, and everything else where even if there's more people doing it, everyone's going to be of a high quality, but the best will still be the best. 
because that's kind of how you define it, right? It's just best. It's the best 1%. I can see it even more in video production that um, the average was not very good before. Yeah. Like you needed real money to do a good job of video in the past because it was film <laughs> and uh, in a big crew and all this. And now that like mid-level has, has moved a lot. Um, I know not all the na- analogies line up with development, but uh, I, I just realized that we blasted past hardware without talking about the pro display. Do, uh, do you guys have any ways that you can see this impacting how uh, Pixelmator software can take advantage of it? Or? Absolutely, yeah. So with the pro display, um, we have some plans for a kind of new raw workflow. So because of the ex- uh, extended range, we're planning to add a, an editing mode where, let's say you've got a raw photo with, you know, obviously some extended dynamic range, clipped highlights. Uh, you can view those in the image without compressing the rest of the dynamic range in the photo. So you can just, the display will use the extended uh, you know, nits to show you the missing detail, but the rest of the, the photo will stay exposed the same way, basically, which is pretty incredible uh, to imagine. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure it'll be, well, be amazing to see. And I think everybody, we, we haven't all wrapped our heads around this yet because because the hardware is not commonplace. Like most people don't have very exceptional HDR displays at all, right? You might have an HDR TV, um, but I typically find those don't have that same kind of impact that a, like a professional grading, um, say, you know, 10-bit display or something can. Uh, so like an important thing to understand is like whenever you're looking at a, a raw file that's like 10, 12, 14 bit, 16 bit, whatever it is, it's always showing you eight bits because your display is eight. Yeah, bits, yeah, right? that's right. So at any one moment, you're only seeing eight bits of the total depth that you have. So the clipped areas just aren't visible. So when you move to a 10 bit display and the additional nits at the high end. Also, I should disclaim that I don't truly understand this. Uh, but you're seeing more of what is in the raw file, but probably wasn't, isn't going to be visible when you output it to 8-bit, which probably will still be common for a while. Like Most people doing photography, I don't think, are going to be exporting 10-bit files for final use because they're not going to be seen on the internet. Um, yeah, right. I mean, like, uh, so, but, but it does open up just a lot of sort of, you know, possibilities for, for, for really pro users. Again, that's, I guess, that's the whole focus of, of these new devices, the Mac Pro and the Pro Display, where, whereby you can, you know, if you have this, this hardware, you know, why not take advantage of the amazing things you can do? Like, I think when you have more opportunities, you'll just find people, people innovate, people find ways to, to take advantage of it. Do you have any but, uh, big plans for Pixelmator or uh, what, what's happened recently? I know there's some updates. Yeah, so Pixelmator Pro, obviously, like, so every year, really, with WWDC, every year, um, around this time of year, we take out like four, three, four months of our sort of regular development plans for the new announcements, like it's been, it's been that way for, for pretty much I don't know, as long as I can remember. So obviously, in in, in the near future, with, with Pixelmator Photo, we'll be working on Project Catalyst with Pixelmator Pro, with the you know Pro Display and and the, and the Mac Pro, and then further down the line, um, just uh, improving the app because well, Pixelmator Pro is actually a, a very new app. We released it uh, at, the, at the end of 20, 2017, which in software terms these days is like a, a tiny infant. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, obviously, it's, it's based a lot on, on the original Pixelmator, but uh, it's, it's quite a sort of significant departure, and whereas maybe maybe the, the original Pixelmator was more, I don't know, more, more of like a little, little brother to, to Photoshop, uh, this, this time around we've kind of gone our own way. And it's been an interesting, actually been an interesting ride over the past, uh, I don't know, 16 months or, or so, where we, I launched, like, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of tricky. Anytime you bring in a new product, um, onto onto the market to replace like a, a product that a lot of people love and a lot of people are used to, 
where it's a sort of significant redesign, it's quite uh, it's quite tricky, I would say. And so we've navigated from I think an average rating of like three point seven from <laughs> after the launch, which was kind of disappointing. Not gonna lie, but uh, th today I think it's four point six or four point seven overall on the Mac App Store with like over a thousand five star ratings. So on, on the right track. But that's with Pixelmator Pro on the Mac. Yeah, yeah. And with and, and with Pixelmator Photo, um, we we want to make that app like the go-to photo editing app on the iPad. I don't know. Uh, it's been what. Not not that long since since we launched it, and we've got some really great plans. It's amazing to win an, uh, an Apple Design Award uh, so soon, but yeah, so obviously it says time. a lot. Yeah, and we'll see we'll see how we do. So I think it's it's going to be a, an exciting time at the Pixelmator team um, over the next uh, couple of months and, and and years. Thanks so much, Andreas. This was great. I, I wish I was there. <laughs> Hope you're having fun. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I wish you were here as well. <laughs> I might repeat myself a little, but I, I just want to get all the ideas out there about the Mac Pro. Maybe a few other things, but to talk about it, I've got Olaf Blumaris, who uh, has been on the show before. Welcome back, Olaf. Hey, thanks for having me, Ty. Um, can you remind us what you do with computers? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, I'm a filmmaker, but I spend a lot of my time in the visual effects world. So years ago, started for my own projects, and now I do it uh, commercially for indie films and commercials and you name it. And then, uh, so I work primarily in Windows and iMac, or sorry, I work primarily in Windows and Mac all the time. Yeah, which I think is exactly why I wanted to talk to you because not a uh, not a lot of people that do that kind of specialized work stick with Apple. You know, lately, like a lot of people are like, "Well, I need really big hardware. I need a lot of graphics cards. I'm going to have to go to a PC. I'm going to have to build something." Um, and you know, if you're going to use the Mac, it's for your own personal stuff. But uh, you seem to be straddling the line of both. So I think I'm, I'm definitely curious to hear what you think of the new announcement. And I mean, last time you were on the show, we talked about the differences between Apple and PC hardware. Uh, and if anybody wants to listen to that, it's the link will be in the show notes. I think it was episode 29. And, uh, but this time, it, it, the world's different. We're in a very different situation where all of a sudden there might be some viable options to use a Mac in the same way they use a, a PC tower. Well, it's funny. I mean, you texted me right before WWDC and asked me if I was excited. And I'm pretty sure you could get across that I was not very excited because I only saw one of two real outcomes, which was that they would either not announce anything like they never do. And you always feel like oh, this is the time they'll announce something about the Mac Pro and we're going to hear it now. But you, yeah. it's just always disappointing. And then the other side of it is they announced something great, but I'm still stuck in a world where I need NVIDIA cards to work. And like I said, I don't know who to blame at the end of the day, whether it's Apple or NVIDIA. I just want them to get along and figure things out so that I can use the tools I need in the environment I like, which is a Mac OS environment. Yeah, and based so, on what I hear from people that like you that are you know all about NVIDIA, and when I see the specs come out of the new card, it leads me to have been saying things uh, leading up to this. I was, I was talking about, like, I just really hope they have NVIDIA support. And I kept asking people about it. I've talked about it on the show a bunch of times. And it's something I've been hoping for and hoping for. Um, and hopefully, I, let, let's a little later get into if you're going to still need it. Because um, I think there's more superficial details to cover before we uh, get into the, the good stuff. Um, I First, let's uh, just context. I'm traveling right now. Um, I'm currently... On a, on a multi-day shoot, on a week-long shoot out in the mountains of Alberta. And it's an awesome job. Um, I'm really excited about what we're shooting here, but it meant that I missed WDC. I really, really wanted to be on the show floor. Um, but that's, uh, I couldn't make it. And now I'm getting very sick. Uh, it's all coming at me at once. 
and I slept very few hours. So Olaf, you're going to have to carry me through this. Uh, and if I'm, if I'm sneezing, I hope I remember to edit it out. So just want to prep everybody <laughs> that I'm not on my A game today. Keep your hand on the volume just in case. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's start a, a little bit from the beginning with this. Uh, superficially, they gave us the, the big picture thing. I'm sorry, that's not superficially, just big picture. They gave us what we wanted, a tower. Mm-hmm. Like basically yeah. a traditional PC computer that you can configure, has tons of room for expansion, has all of the card slots that you want and all of the plugs that you want and room for room for pretty much anything. Well, I think there's a couple of really smart things right off the bat. I, I mean, to just sum it up, I'm excited about it. I don't think it's uh, it's something I'm necessarily going to buy right away, but I am excited just because I do have an iMac Pro and some of their software announcements have changed a few things in terms of how I can use that. But from the Mac Pro design and what it offers, not a huge fan of how it looks. I don't. I feel like that probably could have been figured out a bit more, but again, I haven't seen it in person. I don't really know. But what's inside really, really excites me, specifically just some simple smart things like... They have eight PCI Express slots, but what they did with four of them was make them double wide. So typically, like I have a seven uh, PCI slot motherboard, but the problem is the moment I put a GPU in there, it covers one of them. So you negate the use of that instantly, and they're all crammed together. So you end up having to try and single slot them, which voids your warranty, and then you need to water cool them. It's a big laborious process that you know gets really risky really quickly and apple just really sidestepped that entirely now i'm wondering about how they've created these kind of personalized gpu chassis that have like air intakes versus fans and what that means and how things will be designed by other graphics manufacturers and what what that'll look like but it's really exciting that they instantly just sidestepped one of the biggest issues which is, oh, you want four GPUs in here? We can do that, and you're not going to have lost half of your PCI slots. Yeah, I thought that was interesting about, I mean, I haven't built a PC in a long time, so I, th- I feel behind on a lot of the important details about what goes into building a PC. But I did see that, uh, you know, the, the, the cooling, basically the design of this thing is all about being a big, empty as possible <laughs> tunnel for air to pass through very quickly, yeah. uh, cooling everything inside without having onboard cooling for the individual components, which, as I understand it, is uncommon. Is that right? Yeah. Well, there's all sorts of different ways that you can cool things. But what's going to be very interesting is if they only have three fans sucking air in and one blowing it out, what kind of sound is this thing going to make? And they talked about it being very quiet and it could sit on your desk if you wanted it to. But I'm only basing this off of my PC and my PC can sound like a helicopter is taking off once it gets going. But so can my MacBook Pro. So, I mean, it all depends on what that intake design that they are kind of the cheese grater design, like what that really does to the sound and how everything filters through. So it'll be exciting to see where that goes, but it's just a bit weird. I'm almost certain it'll be pretty quiet. Um, You know, people from the show show floor haven't been able to give very useful feedback on that yet because it's noisy there. But just based on what they've been doing, I would be so surprised if they let something out that was noisy. It's just such a big priority for them, keeping things relatively quiet. Um, yeah, well, there a, a lot's riding on this, like yeah. a lot. I mean, ev- basically, and and this is where I think the the more exciting part of it is is that we got the other side of it, which is everyone adopting metal. Now, 
like that changes the game huge for everyone in the pro market because now the dependency on Nvidia just suddenly slips away. So the iMac Pro is a much more viable option. The Mac Pro, well, the yeah, laptops. Let's dive right into that. This is what turned you around. Like when I was texting you and you're not excited, and then I text you a few days later after the announcement, and uh, it sounded like you had uh, you're a bit more optimistic. Oh man! What exactly happened uh, with metal support? How does that affect your world? For for anyone listening who doesn't quite understand the need for NVIDIA cards, in my world, I run a renderer called Redshift, and that renderer needs CUDA support, which is provided through NVIDIA cards. Break that out a bit too. Like, what else requires CUDA support? What are some other common things? I mean, Octane is another. Octane render is another render. Like. There was a time when Resolve really needed it, and After Effects and Premiere Pro really depended on it. But they've gotten farther and farther away from needing those to be optimized. But it's really typically these renderers that need that, and you are just locked. Like, you cannot go to different. You can't go to AMD cards, and you can't go to anything on a Mac because Mac slowly phased out anything with an NVIDIA card. And to be specific about a renderer, you mean you, like you're generating 3D objects and rendering that, not rendering video, not transcoding. Yeah, no, no, definitely not that. It's all, so if you're in Cinema 4D, Maya, Houdini, all these 3D programs, and you need to bake out the the beauty pass or the multiple passes of your final animation or your final image, you would use a renderer. Now, some of them have built-in renderers that don't need uh, GPUs, and they're all built based on the CPU power. Um, and there's others that are just base GPU, which means it can be any GPU. But then there's ones like Redshift and Octane, which have always heavily depended on NVIDIA and the correct drivers and the correct cards. All right. Now, another, another NVIDIA question, though. Okay. What is it about new NVIDIA cards that makes everybody love them? Oh, you picked me. You found me at a perfect time to <laughs> not be the best advocate for this. So, <laughs> okay. Um, but typically speaking, the new RTX cards uh, have introduced a whole new world of uh, real-time ray tracing. Now, it's not that big a deal yet because it isn't truly optimized, but there's a ton of potential to a lot of real-time stuff really taking advantage of it. Problem is, I just bought two of them, and my system went haywire afterwards. Mm. It became the most unstable, frustrating <laughs> thing, like to the point where I just didn't want to do any more 3D work. I just kind of left it i was like i'm just i can't do this it's so unstable it's crashing all the time you're trying to figure out what driver did what to what you're trying to put in different graphics card combinations different slots you're taking them out you're suddenly two 4k displays one only displays at 1920 and you're like what is going on i just don't understand it and anything you did would just overload the system so well, those, here's those, something i don't understand about ray tracing is it do you need the graphics card to specifically does it have a ray tracing chip that does all of that work the general gpu can't handle it on its own it's part of the new architecture the turing architecture in the rtx i mean i don't know the true specifics of it but just Mm -hmm. the efficiency with which the new cards can do it is crazy real time okay so does it better it's not that it couldn't do it at all now it just does it much 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 better like incredibly fast compared to before whereas before it would take time to bake them now you could do it a lot in real time all right well so that's nvidia that we're sick of and uh it's crashing everything so where are we now well now like we got the other side of the coin that i didn't even know was an option which is everyone adopting metal because since mojave there's been the constant alerts on my system of like, hey, this isn't optimized and hey, this is going to not be supported. So, you know, I'd get it for Nuke. I would get it for uh, everything. And just suddenly you go, 
well, I guess I'm not updating to the new OS when it comes out because my <laughs> mm-hmm. all my applications won't work and that right. would just suck even more. And then suddenly there's an article that shows all these top end uh, developers of the most high end program saying, yep, we're already porting to metal. We're looking forward to fully supporting it. And you're like, holy crap, this is Christmas. And this is going to be a free thing. Like I don't even have to buy the new Mac Pro to truly take advantage of all the greatness that just came out. Like the Mac Pro to me is icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. They could have literally just released that article saying metal is supported by everybody. And I would have been like, yep, done. <laughs> so Well, and that's part of the problem with this WWDC is there's so much like we're not going to cover millions like dozens of things that are actually really exciting and it will have real world impacts we're just going to blow past it like uh external yeah. support for ipad which for editors will probably have a big impact um yeah i mean there, there's i can't think of them all right now, but there's a lot of really cool stuff that it's going to take you know it's going to take until it's released for us to really realize yeah. what the implications of all of it are yeah there's a lot of stuff said and now it's going to be okay how stable is this when this comes out? Because yeah. the original Mac Pro, or not the original, the trash can Mac Pro was highly unstable when it was first released. And people were spending $12,000 on that machine. So now, when they get this, like this thing's got to be great out of the gate, like right away. I, okay, so just when you say trash can, that reminded me of a, I just want to say, I think I have this theory about the reason, part of the reason they went back to the cheese grater is, for one, it's a useful design. You know, like there's only so many mm-hmm. ways to make a tower. And there's only so many ways to make it look good. And they're like, you know what? It worked once. It worked again. I also feel like when they released the trash can, they, I mean, they created a beautiful design. I really think that computer is extremely attractive. It, it looks great. They did not want that to be called the trash can. I don't think anybody on the Mac team thought that's what would become the standard name for the new, most expensive yeah. flagship Apple product. <laughs> So uh, I th- there might be this part of them now that was like, you know what? Cheese grater wasn't so bad. Let's go back to everybody calling it that instead of risking a new bad name. Yeah, let's just embrace it. There was actually, um, there's a guy I got to find. I'll send you the link. But he kind of redesigned the Mac Pro based off of the trash can design as if it was this new modular mm-hmm. design. And it was gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. I'll send it to you. Post it in the show notes. Um but obviously, they didn't even go close to that design. They stuck with a far more traditional one. Yeah, it, which, um, you know, it's it's interesting because it's really like a kind of brutalist, very industrial design, um, but it's so functional. I mean, things like it being able to be rack-mounted, that's huge. I remember looking oh, into... Oh, I haven't even seen the rack-mounted option. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the same thing. You, it, it's not that different. Um, there weren't pictures of it. I haven't seen the pictures, but I think... Um, it's a standard Mac Pro, and you, you just can't adapt it. But like, there was ways to do that with the trash cans, where you would buy custom server racks that had a hole shaped yeah. the size of a Mac Pro, and you'd slot it in there, which doesn't really make sense. And no. uh, yeah, I mean, this is just one more sign of their embrace of uh, true professional ecosystems. So I think that's I think it's really awesome. Also, the, I mean, the way that it opens. Just talking about the design for a few more seconds. Uh, I love the full accessibility that you are kind of you're completely inside the machine once you open it up and i I, for context as well i had a cheese grater for years that was you know i was on um oh i was on old machines for a while then i went to pc for two or three years then i got imax and then i finally got a mac pro and i loved 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 that machine i spent you know at least like five years on it upgraded a lot that was the first time i put ssds into a machine um you know 
filled it with hard drives. I, I never wanted to leave it until, until I had and there to. Was, but. There was so much satisfaction opening that case up. Oh, yeah. Like it was just, it was like slamming a Volvo car door. <laughs> exactly. And now, it, it honestly, that looks even better about it. Uh, yeah, I want to get my hands physically on one of these. It'd be great. Uh, I mean, do you have any general thoughts on how it looks? Um, I generally don't like it, but that's yeah. kind of my initial, I think I want just smoother, cleaner lines. Like I, I don't really like the way the chassis and how it's chrome. And But I think from a utilitarian place, it's it's good. Like it's yeah. it does what it needs to do. And they kind of almost weirdly went with function over form, which is odd for Apple because they're typically trying to yeah. do both or even actually sometimes sacrificing functions, say like the MacBook Pro because of you know thermal issues or the trash can mac pro but in this case they said like okay we need to make this thing just a monster and on paper like this thing is going to just if it does what it says it can holy well let's go a little deeper into what it can do we were we were getting closer to talking about the gpus so it seems like this is it's designed to be using the radions that have been designed for it you know there's these kind of custom dual slot graphics cards which what is that is it like two gpus in one or what's the story like in this when i look at a photo of it it looks like it's two gpus um how does that work yeah from what i understand these kind of casings i'm trying to find the name i have it the, the mpx specs in front. mac pro yeah those mpx bays something right so yeah. these mpx bays house two gpus so, i mean the, the amd radeon pro vega 2 is two 32 gigabyte cards if i'm reading this correctly like that's just like my head doesn't really understand how to get around that right now like that's massive and then you have two of them in there so i don't know how well their uh vram um will uh, piggyback off of each other whether or not it'll be 232 gig portion portions or if it'll be 64 gigs seen entirely like for example on my windows machine if I have an 8-gig card and two 11-gig cards, I'm limited to the 8-gig card when it comes to rendering for Redshift. Now, that's just kind of how big your scene is, like how much stuff you have that needs to be loaded on the card to render. But with the new RTX cards, uh, using something called um, NVLink, I think it is, you can basically put it all together. It's like taking two hard drives and rating them so that they're one. Well, and what I saw based on the, again, I'm like deferring to experts, we were both watching the Linus Tech Tips video just before this, and he's got a, you know, he's not a, a, an Apple fanboy, let's just say that. I mean, he's he's been pretty hard on Apple over the last few years. Um, oh, yeah. And, and in some ways that I'm like, that feel very unreasonable to me, I, like a lot of it doesn't make sense. Um, so the fact that he was able to say a lot of really nice things about this machine, uh, especially about the... Uh, graphics graphics card performance um that was surprising to me he seemed excited about what these would be able to do and he honestly seemed restrained like i think he's more excited than he was letting on yeah yeah and i think i think kind of everyone is i think we're just now it's about when these come out and i think maybe the next thing to talk about and i don't know how, what what you want to talk about next but maybe it's the price yeah um, but i think I meant to when talk these about come first. out <laughs> <laughs> um well, i think it's going to be very important that it it doesn't bug out in any way. Like this thing needs to be so squeaky clean and ready for the market because people are going to put it to some massive tests. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's get to the price and then uh, the, the screen. I got a lot of, I got, I'm, I'm almost more excited about the monitor in some ways. I, I'm, that'll be a good conversation because I'm so unexcited about it. 
Sweet. Okay, Bryce, <laughs> it's, uh, this is crazy expensive. Uh, it's about twice as expensive as previous Mac Pros were on their, for their base model at launch. Uh, typically, they're around $3,000. This is $6,000. That's a really big jump. It's, a, it's hard to swallow. Um, the context that uh, a lot of people... I mean, okay, so much of the response is people saying like, but this isn't a machine for me. Uh, I wanted one, and now I'm not going to be buying one. And I, they, the thing is, like, Apple just didn't make a machine for you in a lot of ways. They're the most people that will be buying these, and I bet most people that even bought them in the past, are running actual shops where this kind of budget is not a concern. $6,000 is a non-issue, and they're already spending ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 on their workstations uh, whether they're Apple or not right now, but it opens up the ability for people that really love the Apple platform to be running Mac OS, um, you know, without, and it's that initial tax of a few thousand extra dollars is absolutely worth it to them. Um, you can, it, it's up to you if that's worthwhile to you kind of paying the, the Apple premium fee. But, um, I don't know. I don't think it's crazy of them to have made it so expensive. I think what's going to be interesting about the price is we've only got the kind of starting at price. And I think people who think it's expensive now need to wait to see how expensive how it's goes. going to be. Because it's going to be way more than $6,000 well, when people start actually, you know, adding RAM, adding uh, memory, sorry, a hard drive space, GPUs, uh, more CPUs. It's going to be crazy. Okay, but this is what I'm wondering. How much of this do you need to do when you order it? Obviously, you need to get the good CPUs. Uh, there's probably some incentive to get to upgrade GPUs initially because you're going to want the Apple ones because they're best optimized. But in terms of storage and RAM, uh, wh- why pay for the Apple ones? Like, aren't a lot of people going to just get them somewhere else? I think I think that's a huge point. Like, what at what time, at point of purchase is going to be needed? Like right now, it even looks like you can swap out the CPU. I'm not 100 percent certain, but wow. I think that there's. There's definitely the push to upgradability, and who knows? Maybe it will quite literally be the base model, and then all you're picking are replacement modules, mm-hmm. right? So they might not even be other, uh, you know, variations. It might be uh, presented in a very different way. I don't really know yet, and yeah. I, that's that's the exciting part. But when it comes to the price, I mean, I've got an iMac Pro, and that costs ten thousand bucks. I've built two ten thousand plus uh, Windows PCs. At the end of the day, if the thing is going to get you there that much faster, then that money quickly becomes a non-issue. Now, it's still crazy expensive and it's still something you have to think about. But when you start putting it to minutes in terms of render time and the, uh, all the waiting you do or how fast you can do something or how well you can do something, it's going to change immensely. So spending twice as much and going from a $5,000 computer to a $10,000 computer isn't that big a deal because now suddenly you can do three jobs instead of one. Well, we should clarify who this is applicable for because a lot of people listening to this might be like, I, I don't know, that doesn't sound, that, that sounds great. But what you should know is that this only happens when you're doing the kind of work that will see that kind of exponential benefit. Absolutely. And that's a lot of what, that's where a lot of the confusion comes from, I think, is that iMac, 5K iMacs and iMac Pros will serve almost all of the market. Almost yep. nobody needs a Mac Pro. It is so specific, the job that requires it. And I mean, I think it'd be helpful for us to come up with a few of those things. Like, when will that jump be useful? Because if you're just editing, I mean, most YouTubers aren't going to have a great reason for this. 
Um, if you're shooting raw 8K, yeah, then you'll start to notice the speed improvements. Um, I mean, I'm shooting raw 4K these days, and uh, I don't, I mean, I would have a lot of headroom. You know, I'm not going to be pushing even the base model very hard. A, uh, I bet a base model uh, iMac Pro would serve me pretty well if I'm just doing a basic grade. Um, you know, I'm just editing things in Final Cut Pro. I am successfully doing it right now on a MacBook Pro. Um, you know, when it starts to matter, and I'll just start this off, and I'm sure you can list more things, is doing 3D, doing VFX, doing compositing in video and in photos, uh, heavy use of layers in design or very large design files. Or if you're shooting on a uh, really big camera, you got like 100 megapixel uh, Hasselblad or something. For, who, for me, who else might need this? Well, the way I measured it, I remember when I bought the iMac Pro, I was in a situation where I was working on two jobs and I needed big computing power on two ends. I needed visual effects power and I needed editing power. So I bought the iMac Pro so that I could edit this other project while this other computer was rendering. And then I could kind of piggyback off of them both. I was quite literally working between two. And for me, if you can't, if you're going to buy a computer and it already feels like, oh, this is just way too expensive, it's probably too expensive for mm-hmm. what for what you're doing. Like if that's the thought and the thought isn't, oh man, this is going to save me so much money, then like look at a different computer because <laughs> yeah. there's a different option for you, right? And right now we can guess that the iMac Pro is going to sit in that beautiful sweet spot of probably almost too expensive, but probably just enough bang for your buck, especially the eight core model, right? But I mean... It, it comes down to what you do, how frequently you do it, and if it's going to save you time and make you money, right? And for me, buying the iMac Pro allowed me to finish that job while I was on another job, so it instantly paid for itself, like right away. And it's my favorite computer I have to date. Well, and there's even, if you think about businesses like Mac Stadium, which does a lot of um, cloud services and uh, like Mac servers in the cloud, they're all running on Mac minis right now. Maybe they're going to keep doing this because I, I don't follow them that closely. But there are other companies like that that want to offer really heavy, like they're going to have server architecture. They're going to have a lot of computers, render farms, um, where they're not buying one. They're buying a stack of them. Yeah. And it makes way more sense. You could, you know, I mean, you could buy one Mac Pro for every 28 Mac minis uh, or something. Um, you know, it's it's not a bad value proposition when you look at that kind of use. And I'm sure everybody listening, like none of you have that need. I, I mean, unless somebody from Max Stadium or, or similar is listening at the moment. Most people don't need that. And that's okay. You don't need to need this specific computer. iMac Pros are pretty cool too. Yeah, no, 100%. I think, you know, when you look at the features it has, this is built for working. If this computer is going to sit there a lot of the time and, you know, you're going to check your email and surf the web and maybe edit some video, don't. There are so many other computers for a third of the price that will do all of that and more. But if you know you're going to push your machine to the point where it sounds like it's taking off, this this is a computer for you. Okay, well, I want one. Whether I really can use it or not, I, uh, <laughs> I do know just, that I want one. Just so you can put it on wheels and push it around the studio ride it ride yeah. it around um <laughs> let's move on to the the monitor that you're so not excited about and let me let me try to sell you on it so what was your impression when you saw it? why why no excitement because i feel like while the mac pro is the computer i was waiting for the monitor is not the monitor i'm wanting for, waiting for because again as weirdly as people will say the same thing about the mac pro i'm going to say it about the monitor 
is it's just something I would never spend, or at least I don't feel like right now I would spend that money on. But I remember a, a while back, I was talking to some colorist friends saying, hey, I'm looking for a new monitor and I want to have it as a good reference monitor. What can you suggest? And the cheapest one that they recommended was $17,000. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you grossly yeah, yeah, misunderstand yeah. what I'm hoping for. And well, I was truly hoping for the 1000 to $2,000 monitor that worked much like the Thunderbolt displays did of the past, where it just suddenly took your laptop and made it feel, feel like a desktop. The connectivity was simple, the, you know, and that was it. But instead, they really just leapfrogged that entire idea and put it so far out of reach for, you know, for me, do I buy that or do I buy another iMac Pro? Well, I go buy another iMac Pro. Well, now I think you're speaking from the same voice as like what I was just talking about, about, you know, being exactly. frustrated because you want it to be for you, but this, they just didn't have you in mind. They thought about you and they're like, we're not going to design it for him. We're going to design exactly. it for someone else. Yep. And I mean, I would love that too. Yeah. Just take an iMac screen, take one of those 5k iMacs and make a monitor out of it and sell it to me for $2,000. You know, like it can be, it can be a little expensive because they're great monitors. Yeah. I'm, I'm sad that doesn't exist. I, you know, I'd love to have one. Um, but aside from that, what this is, be, for who it is, is pretty crazy. Because like you mentioned, those $1,700 reference monitors, which quickly go up in price a lot, um, are th there are only so many options that provide this kind of output right now. Uh, so the, the best sort resource I've seen for this so far is uh, Mike Seymour from FXPHD was there. Uh, they do a lot of great coverage. He also was talking to the guys from News Shooter. Uh, there's... I'll, I'll put some links in the show notes that'll give the real explanation for this because I'm just relaying information that I do not necessarily clearly understand. But here, here's a basic breakdown of why this is an awesome monitor. Okay, so a standard TV is about 100 nits of output. And first of all, the, the measurements we're going to be concerned about are the overall brightness of it, which is you know measured by nits, the, how wide the color gamut is. Uh, and I'll blow through that one. I mean, it's just a little bit more than P3, it's really good, but that won't change a lot. Most people won't see the color difference. And then the contrast ratio, which is uh, you know connected to the brightness, but isn't the exact same thing. Uh, and that is a million to one, which is pretty insane. So uh, the brightness, though, uh, standard TV is about 100 nits. A iMac, I think it's the iMac Pro, is about 600. And uh, that's great. Like that, The iMac Pro is a great monitor Every, uh, a lot of people do serious work on it you do um i i do on an older imac monitor at home or on my uh, macbook pro monitor here um, you know i don't need to have that to to do the kind of work that i have been doing but what the the new uh what is it called pro display um, xdr xdr <laughs> is what what enables you to do is that it has a it's its technical output is a thousand nits, so jumping quite a bit up from the iMac. Um, but that's just the rating when it's displaying a completely white screen. What it's actually able to do in practical terms when you're playing back video is get up to about 1600. Uh, it's hard to understand. The, I mean, I don't understand the logarithmic scale of nits and exactly like, you know, they, it's, it's not one to one, like it's not uh, exactly mm -hmm. 10 times better. But as a, the point of reference that came from the uh, the FXPHD stuff that I was looking at, they had just been touring the Dolby Studios a few days earlier and seeing the custom monitors that were built by Dolby, like one of a kind for their specific uses uh, that are 4,000 nits. 
And like, there's very, very few of them. These are the very top of the line things that, you know, this is probably what Avengers is graded on. Uh, (laughs) Only a few of them exist in the world. They are the best. They are sort of priceless. And the difference in dynamic range between a iMac and the uh, (laughs) Pro Display uh, is about five to six stops. And then the difference between the, uh, the Apple Display and the Dolby display is about one stop. So you've hmm. gotten most of the way to the very top of the line displays in terms of dynamic range. And then, okay, why do you even want an HDR display? Like, why do you want to be able to see all that extra information? Because what's living in those extra nits is your highlights of a, of a good camera, of a camera that is able to expose beyond standard definition. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know how close my C200 gets to this. I don't know exactly what it's rated at, but I think it'd be pushing past some of that. And I can't see that information on a standard 8-bit monitor. But on a you know HDR 10-bit monitor, the highlights that are non-existent, non-visible on your iPhone, or actually, I wonder what the range is on an iPhone, because I know there is some HDR compatibility, or capability, but on a standard 8-bit display, it just, it reads as white. There's nothing there. An HDR display has detail in that. So, the combination of this new Mac Pro and this new display allows you to have a full, fully HDR pipeline from beginning to end. So now you wouldn't need to generate proxies out of raw data or grade or sorry, edit looking at a restricted um, color space or, or sorry, like contrast space. So otherwise you're editing and not actually knowing what is held in your highlights or shadows until you're finished editing your feature film. And then you send it off for grading. Then it's like, oh, good. We were able to recover those clouds. Oh, I'm so glad those shadows were actually there. And you kind of have to guess and hope and like, you know, do, do some muddling through as you, as you edit to find out what's in that range that you're going to be able to deliver to a standard dynamic range television. With an HDR workflow, you can just see it all the time. And the Mac Pro is fast enough because of Afterburner, that uh, additional card that they have that's going to be mm-hmm. able to hand off a bunch of the processing of uh, uh, red footage, I think, is coming. What did they say is supported right away? Um, I think it's just ProRes stuff. Yeah, all the demos were ProRes raw, but they've they've said that they're going to be able to support a whole, a whole bunch of different formats, and like on its own, on that chip, that I think it's it's able to support three 8K streams simultaneously and up to 12 4K streams. That's nuts. That's of raw footage, like raw 8K <laughs> or raw 4K. It's amazing. So uh, you can be playing that back in HDR like perfectly as if you're editing standard or HD footage, you know, like it's just, it's just running the way you want it to and you haven't had to throw away any of that data. So uh, yeah, productions bigger than me are excited about this because now they're able to access that kind of monitor at an insanely lower price. So even if, you know, if it's a grading studio, they might have one of those reference monitors. They maybe, you know, they coughed up 40K for the the nice Sony, but they only have one. Now everybody, oh, yeah. all of their editing suites can all be looking at most of the data that's contained in the images. Yeah, what's weird is that you have a whole bunch of people like me going, ugh, this is, not, this is way too out of the range I want to spend on a monitor. And you have a whole slew of other people going, holy I can get six of these for the price of one of the, you know, <laughs> yeah. like they just th- made it affordable. Yeah, th- exactly. So I guess I just don't know if it's in the future. I mean, they did call this the pro XDR. So maybe there's going to be just a regular <laughs> yeah, XDR. I don't know, but something 
where I can buy two of them, have this Mac Pro, and feel like I've got a beautiful Apple ecosystem. Whereas yeah. right now, if I bought this, the monitor next to it would be 500 bucks. <laughs> and yeah, you know, for sure. That just suddenly feels very, you know, like, ugh. Well, my one other anecdote about this is in, in, in person, the first time that I was able to see real reference monitors. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm sure you have by now as well, but this happened to me at CES. I was looking at the Sony booth. And you go into this black curtain room where it's pitch black. And the first thing you see is a whole bunch, a lineup of, you know, five or six monitors that all seem to kind of be off. But then you realize, okay, they're not off. They're displaying a black image. And most of them, um, all of a sudden you realize are glowing. And there's one that looks like, oh, they forgot to turn this one on. But it turns out that's the $40,000 display because the blacks are black as black and there's nothing else there. Um, and then, you know, as they kind of go through the display or the demo and you're seeing them next to each other, it's the first time I was like, oh, okay, that's what, that's what money gets you. That's why people would spend that much money on. And it was like 20 inches. Like this is a small monitor and it's still thousands of dollars. And these things get bought. There is a market for them. They are not so specialty that, uh, you know, Sony's too good to have three or four of them available at all times. Uh, like these are used in production all the time. Apple has just opened up the, a lower price point, a six thousand dollar lower price point. Uh, you know that uh, a lot of people are going to be really excited to use. Well, it depends if you want the stand or not. Oh my god! Yeah, okay. The stand I can't. Just, I don't know why the stand is that. It, so many people have pointed out. This is my idea, but just that like all they had to do was announce the total. Like say it's six thousand dollars, or you can get it for five thousand without the stand. Yeah, go the other way versus the way they went. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of weird. But, uh, I mean, it's all it's all pretty cool, and it makes me want to be a better filmmaker just so I can uh, justify some of the stuff. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this monitor will be in my future. We'll see. I mean, uh, once I see it in person, I'll probably go, yeah, I could justify that. Well, this is the other thing I was saying. I, I was saying this on Twitter that – this will be the first time a lot of people have that experience that I just described of walking into CES and seeing a really high end display of what mm -hmm. professional monitors look like. People are going to walk into the Apple store and see like, oh, this is what an amazing display looks like. Because you, this doesn't exist in Best Buy. You, there's no consumer electronics store that you walk into and you see top of the line monitors. I mean, you know, oh, there's yeah. some there's a pretty good OLED out there, but it's not the same. So. You're uh, lucky I, if I they're displaying really cool. the right resolution on a monitor <laughs> there, let alone yeah. the top-end monitors. Yeah, they think contrast ratio is just setting it to 100. Oh. Um, what else? Uh, I think we're kind of running out of time, but uh, what else is really exciting? I mean, I'm, I'm super excited about Catalyst. I can't talk about that enough. I think I'll keep talking about that for a while now because it means that all of the Mac, or sorry, all the iOS apps that I've been loving are going to be able to come to the Mac sooner rather than later uh, what about you i'm just beyond thrilled about the adoption of metal that just suddenly opens up a world of like visual effects possibilities for me staying just in a mac environment like yeah. i am so happy at the prospect of getting rid of my windows world and just being in a mac world because the amount of time and money uh the pc takes for me in terms of troubleshooting the stupidest things I look forward to an ecosystem that works and it'll come down to how well that stuff is optimized. But metal is touted as a really great language. 
I'm excited that everyone seems to be on board. There wasn't like one company saying, hey, we're fully supporting this. And you're like, great. There's a lot of top tier developers bringing their stuff over. And that'll be very interesting to see how well that goes because it just it's just blown those doors open. Whereas for the whole time, I've just felt trapped. Like, oh, I have to buy NVIDIA cards. I can't even look at AMD cards, right? And I have to stay on a Windows system. And now I got, it's Christmas. Yeah. How likely is it that you'll drop all your PC stuff? I mean, you're saying it like it's already going to happen. Um, I, Unless there's just this absolute, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, well, how can I return those cards? What can I sell them for at a loss? I don't know. But basically, it's going to come down to when this, uh, when Catalina comes out and all the metal versions of the software, I'll test them one by one, see how stable they are, how much well, they, how much better or less they perform, and then just weigh the pros and cons. Because part of me thinks, okay, well, maybe I can keep my PC and just keep it as like a render station for when I need to. And I can now finally do most of my work on my Mac Pro, or I just level it completely and buy a Mac Pro. I don't really know. So we'll we'll see. But it's there Windows in my world is got it's on life support right now. In terms of metal, I'm also curious to see what it'd be like running Pixelmator uh, against some Adobe products. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. Adobe has not been doing well for optimization. Like, I think Lightroom is notoriously slow. So, uh, but Pixelmator and other design for Mac apps run on metal. And yeah. that that optimization is only going to get more and more interesting as Apple continues with this support of the pro market and, you know, really delivering on... A plan they've probably had in place for years. Like this has been a long time coming. This is a very long term plan, um, and yeah, anything that's written specifically for it is going to be pretty incredible. And I've never wanted to develop more. Like see, also seeing the Swift UI, the basically WYSIWYG editing platform. Like or, yeah, I mean uh, framework. Like that is. That is so cool. I absolutely want to create a cross-platform iOS and Mac-friendly app and on a iPad OS, which is now separate. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's, so that's I think, an, an interesting move forward. I think that uh, I think there's something behind that, which I don't know 100%, but I feel like that push to separate it is going to be very interesting in the next maybe two years when it comes to their laptops. Thanks, Olaf. Uh, where can people find you online? Um, pretty much Instagram. I think that's pretty much the best <laughs> place to find me. I don't really find myself on Twitter or any know, other platform. Sometimes. Yeah, the odd time. But All Instagram, right, well, just Olaf Blameris. So Cool. Thanks again.